Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before we start today's episode, I'd love to share a podcast recommendation with you guys. Hosted by Ella and Matthew Mills, the founders of Deliciously Ella, Delicious Ways to Feel Better is a brilliant podcast with informative, honest conversations around mental and physical health from leading experts. From gut health to anxiety, imposter syndrome to body image, Delicious Ways to Feel Better is helping us all cope through the uncertainties of life. Available wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is the incredible Michelle Griffith Robinson, who is an Olympian, a life coach, personal trainer, and mother. Our paths crossed during the pandemic, and Michelle has become a wonderful friend and positive energy in my life, especially when I've needed a little lift. We have some similarities too, having both been victims of domestic violence and now both doing work for the incredible charity Women's Aid. Welcome, Michelle. How are you? Oh, hey, babe, I'm good, Alice. I'm really good. Yeah, babe, you know, I'm, I'm good. I, what can I say? You know, I've, I've been through some tough patches over the last few weeks, losing my mm. stepfather with COVID. But now I'm looking out the other side. You know, obviously that, that grief is a funny thing. My stepfather wouldn't want me to be sitting and wallowing. He'd want me to keep continue doing great things and impacting people's lives and most importantly, impacting my own and my family's lives as well. And that you are doing. And and really, like, I think grief is such a hard thing to go through. And I, I lost my grandma last year. And it was the first person that was like, really close to me that I lost. And it just feels like a, a wave of emotions that you go through, you know, and some days are better, some days are worse. And it never feels like a linear recovery, does it? It's always sort of up and down. And I think, you know, just taking your time to process all of those emotions is so important. Absolutely. And obviously I'm comforting my mother who's you know, was married to my stepdad for over 30 years and, mm. you know, and just literally allowing her the space to grieve as well. 
and the, yeah. those, those myriad of emotions that come with it. You know, I think it, it's important for us to allow people the space to grieve however they choose to as well. Of course, there's no right or wrong way to do it. And it's just about <laughs> yeah, dealing with whatever comes up. Now, Absolutely. obviously, being an Olympian, as I mentioned in my introduction, I would love to start talking about your journey to become an Olympian. So I thought it would be best if you maybe told us a little bit about that experience, how sure. you got there. You know, I've... I've always got such huge admiration for Olympians and I'm fortunate to have spoken to a lot of them in my time. And really, I just find it's such an inspiring journey and one that requires such huge sacrifice as well. And I'd really love to hear about your journey to that point. Yeah, Alice, I think it's only on reflection now, you know, I mean, I I became an Olympian in 1996 at the Olympic Games in Atlanta, but the journey started way before then, you know, Mm. in terms of 12 years old, I was at the running track and, and actually I was there by accident where my mum said to me, you know, you're going to have to come down the track with me because your brothers don't want to look after you and you're going to have to come down the track and, and find something to do. And back then, you know, you, you just went along hump and grumpy face and everything else. And my mum still says today that's the best pound she's ever invested in me um, <laughs> because that was the start of my career. Do you know what I mean? Something so fluky as, you know, going down because there's nobody to look after me. Mm. Uh, and actually finding out that I had a passion for, for athletics, you know, I had an ability as well. And you can't beat an ability, you know, if you've got an ability as well, you know, you know it's brilliant. The two go hand in hand. Did I know then when I was a, a, a teenager that I would become an Olympian? Probably not. But I remember watching Daley Thompson in 1984 and, and thinking, my gosh, what would it be like to represent my country at the highest level? Mm. And, and that resonated with me, you know, quite significantly throughout my career. And I remember sharing this story with Daly and him going, what, you used to look at me? I said, yeah, I did, unfortunately. We're, you know, I know Daly really well. But it, it, it just goes to show you that when you can get, you know, that little bit of oomph in your stomach to try something. In, and that, that goes throughout everything in life. Finding your purpose and your passion on this earth mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing. Yes, I'm an Olympian. Yes, I've got stories to share, some brilliant and some not so brilliant. But it's all about the journey. It's the journey. And, you know, and I feel very blessed that, no, I'm not an Olympic champion. I'm not an Olympic medalist. But I started off as a little girl who had a big dream. Yeah. And you know, it, it ended up me being at the, at the biggest event on earth. Yeah. And I think that's actually re- something really important to cover is, you know, sometimes we reach for the stars and we don't quite get what we thought we were going to, or what we really hoped for. But actually yeah. what's really nice is for you to say, you know what, regardless of all that stuff, the journey was a learning experience in itself. And, and, you know, my, my mum has always told me growing up, you know, she was like, you might not win, you might not even get on the podium, but as long as you try your hardest, there's nothing Absolutely. more you can do, is there? And I think, you know, hearing your experience of that, it would be a really interesting thing. You know, there are so many relatable experiences that I'm sure people have where they really, really want something and it just doesn't quite come off and how you deal with the psychology around that. And I think that's it in a nutshell, actually, Alice, you know, my role primarily as a mother to my three children who are seven, 14 and 17 is give something a try, Mm. you know, give it a try. You never know where it may lead to or not lead to, but if you don't try, you will never know. Yeah. You can't break it down any more simple than that. You know, you've got to give something a try and it's not always the outcome that you may desire, but the fact that you've given it a try and you've learned from that experience and life is all about experiences, which we've seen over the last year with the pandemic, you know, the lack of experiences we've all had, you know, that's what it's all about. The memories. So mm. I always urge people, young people, old people, people in general, give something a try because you don't know where it may lead to. And you also don't know what opportunities and doors may open because of that as well. 
Yeah, that's so true. And really good advice. I mentioned earlier, I've interviewed quite a few Olympians on this podcast, yeah. like Jess Ennis and Kelly Holmes. Yeah. And I've always been really fascinated. And I think what really gets me is the physical side, of course, like it's incredibly yeah. grueling and, and hard to train for, for, for an Olympics or to train at a high level. Yeah. But it's really the mindset aspect of training that I find fascinating the psychology behind standing on a on a line and yeah. waiting to perform in your yeah. event yeah. and really just what must go through your head and you know I can't relate to it 100% but I know that like for example in audition experiences when yeah. you have to give everything of yourself and sometimes it just doesn't go right and you Absolutely. have to mentally pick yourself back up off the floor and say okay today wasn't my day but you know I need to get myself back into a positive space so that I can walk back and do that again and I'd love to hear how you found yourself coping mentally did you work with a psychologist were you on your own and how did you deal with the losses and the failures I mean, there's two separate questions there. So did I work with a psychologist? Yes, there's times when I had to really work with a psychologist. One of them was after I had my my first child, Reese, mm. um, mm. and I was getting ready for the 2004 Athens Olympic Games. There was a lot of self-doubt there. You know, mm. I could I come back after having a baby, after having a C-section? Yeah, so I worked very closely with a guy called Mike then, who really, you know, spoke to me a lot about visualization. Visualize yourself in the pit. Visualize yourself celebrating. You know, and that's the same with everything else. And we, we now talk about putting it out there to the universe. So if you want something, go and tell somebody how you're going to get there. Start creating that excitement working towards it. Of course, I can't turn around and say I'm going to be a doctor next week because I haven't got the experience. But there's other things that you can start actually setting out your pathway, but being mm-hmm. very clear. And as a life coach, I say this, a dream is nothing if it's left on the pillow. Mm. Action. It's got to be action. If that's what you want. And that's only come from your intrinsic motivation. The support of a psychologist was paramount to me, where I had a lot of self-doubt after coming back into the game again, so to speak. But we've seen that there's so many women, Jess Ennis being one of them, that have come back and performed to the highest level after having children. But back then when I was having Reese, there wasn't many to reference. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't a woman that I could call up and say, look, what's it feel like? What, what, you know, as a triple jumper coming back into the game after having the baby, how does it feel? Can I do it? So there wasn't that reference. So that's where the self-doubt came in on my behalf. But the yeah. second question, how do you deal with failures and losses? Do you know what, Alice? I've dealt with many, many losses. And one of them was when I was 15, um, when I went to English schools, which is like a, a, a national championships, um, quite a big thing for students over here. Mm. And I went there as a favourite and I did three no jumps. I bawled my eyes out and I cried out of two things. And I'm not embarrassed to say it now. I felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I went in there too much like, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Instead of saying, owning that I've got it, but in a controlled manner. Yeah, because there's a difference too. Yeah. So, you know, and trust in the process. And from that failure, I realised then, and I did go on and do three no jumps again, but the, at least then I could say, I was controlled and I accepted that sometimes you can put in as much as you can. It just doesn't work out. Mm. And that's okay because mm-hmm. our biggest lessons of learning are through failures. They absolutely are. And yeah, I'm really passionate about talking about that. And I think that really in my career, absolutely, my biggest lessons have come from things that haven't necessarily gone my way. I also really love, and one of the things you just spoke about is speaking things into existence. You know, I've had many things in my career where 
the fear of doing something has held me back from achieving that thing. I've been too worried about what other people might think, what people might say about me, whether that might end in failure. You know, these things really have held me back and do continue to hold me back. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right unless we speak it into existence, you still might not get there, but you've got to take that first step. And I think that's a really, really good message for a lot of people listening. Absolutely. And when you speak about, you know, the fear, I speak about this all the time, being a life coach, the fear of failure for some people paralyzes them to make that first move. Yeah. And it literally does paralyze them. They think, oh no, I I can't because just in case, but actually not, not recognizing that actually, if we all just do our thing, you know, and I'm, I use a really important phrase here, slay in your lane. Do you, mm. you mm. are enough because I am enough. I'm unique to me. And, you know, and yes, there might be a few people out there that don't like me and do like me or whatever it might be, but that's their problem. That's them. I can't own their problems. And sometimes we're so critical on watching the two minor comments that might be negative instead of embracing the whole picture that is so positive and they're just a little small slither of a slice of cake that's gone off. But yet we want to say, oh, it was rubbish. You know, and I want people to recognize it's okay to have your opinion, but actually sometimes don't project your opinion onto others. And my mother's got a really, really good saying. And she says it in the strongest Jamaican accent. (laughs) If you have nothing good to say, say nothing. And it's true, right? It is. And the thing is, is that you're absolutely right, especially in my job now. I am one of those people who, for all the hundreds and thousands of lovely comments I get, there will be one that will be negative and it will be that one comment that will play on my mind again and again and again for the next week, two weeks, sometimes a month. You know, it can really affect me. And and I, one of the things that I'm personally trying to work on at the moment is not allowing external opinions to Mm -hmm. change how I feel about myself. And that Mm -hmm. is, I tell you, one of the most difficult things that you can try and do. Honestly, baby, it's work in progress and I accept that. Mm. But why should you allow somebody to live rent-free with their negative thoughts in your head? Mm. And it's time for us to call them out. If you've got nothing positive to say, say nothing. Mm. Yeah, don't feel that you're entitled to start making negative comments. I'm not saying you've got to like everything, but maybe hold that back. Because yeah. it's not affecting you. It's, it, it, you know, just if you don't like it, scroll on. Completely. And and this is the thing that really baffles me. And we've sort of gone off on a, on a tangent, but I'm going to go there yeah. because... It's my biggest bugbear with social media. You know, I I had an an incident this weekend where I stumbled upon a thread of really slanderous and mean comments about myself, picking apart everything from the way I looked to the what I said to, you know, things I did. You know, it it was everything. And I found myself being absolutely swallowed by thoughts of, I need to give up. I can't do this anymore. This is awful. I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve what I'm doing. You know, I I literally, all of these thoughts went through my head and you're so right. Part of me and how I really had to drag myself out of this was why am I letting myself Mm -hmm. be impacted by these Mm -hmm. absolute nobodies who I don't even know live live rent-free in my head, like just swallowing up my thoughts. And the second thing that really helped me and that I just constantly have to remind myself of is I don't understand if I am so much of an issue to them, why they continue to follow me. And if people are being honest with themselves, and this is really for your listeners to, to really home in on, they have to ask themselves the question, it's because that other person is so unhappy why they are projecting such vileness on another human being. 
You know, we all want a constructive criticism. I love that. I want feedback. Guys, you know, tell me how I'm doing. How can I improve? We need kindness in this world. We do. I say this to my kids every time. You know, I say to my two girls, especially my two girls, would you say that to your sister? Mm. No, I wouldn't. Okay, so check yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All the time you have to be conscious about how you're behaving. People just damn right don't have no emotional intelligence as well, Alice. Which, yeah, again, (laughs) that's their problem. This is true. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, it it, it takes work being online. I tell you that it takes some work. Now, I wanted to move on to speaking about, I guess, a bit more of a, a difficult subject and one that I find I've, I've worked hard to be able to talk about, but one that I guess is still challenging at times. Yeah. You've spoken openly and we've had conversations about your experience yeah. of domestic abuse. And I yeah. wondered if you felt comfortable enough to be able to share your story. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not quite there yet to share my main story or stories yeah. that impacted me. And I'll be very honest and upfront with you. I think the one thing that I would say to people and one thing that, you know, with our ongoing work with Women's Aid, mm. I think it's very important for people to start seeing the red flags very early mm-hmm. and start to look at what denotes a healthy relationship. You know, what denotes a healthy relationship? And, you know, had I known when I was 15 years old that a guy could manipulate make you feel so bad about yourself, make you feel helpless. You know, I would do things very differently, put it that way. And abuse comes in many forms. And that's probably the, the biggest thing that we do need to keep talking about. Mm-hmm. Of It disguises itself in mm-hmm. so many ways. And the perpetrator allows you to think that you're going mad or it's just you or you're overreacting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I'm not going to talk about my whole story just no. yet. And I appreciate you sharing that boundary because I think that's really important and I really value you doing that. Uh, It's definitely about recognising what denotes a healthy relationship. And if that's Mm. one thing that pushed through, you know, with the help of the support of the ambassadors and women's aid into schools, Mm. what denotes a healthy relationship? Because I think it's very important for a child from as little as four or five to recognise what's a healthy relationship look like. Yeah, it's really those first relationships that you get into as a young person where those red flags are much less obvious to you. And you're just scoping out, you know, you're suddenly developing confidence as a young adult. You're having your first relationships and experiencing a level of independence that you might not have had when you were younger. And I think all those things contribute towards you really not quite understanding when things aren't right. In my experience, absolutely, there were red flags of very, very controlling behavior, like coercive control and gaslighting, which were words that I didn't even know about until a couple of years So there's no way that I would have been able to recognize that. But now that we have the language, now that we have things like social media in order to talk about this stuff, you're Mm -hmm. so right. We need to get this far and wide so that we really understand what constitutes a healthy relationship absolutely but you need the support you you must be embarrassed about it the first time I had I did a major conversation around this was to Kent Police in 2019 Mm. 2018 to Kent Police it's 140 police officers I shared my story first time I've openly shared my story ever Mm. Mm -hmm. and um, but it was a private conversation and, and you know I had therapists there and everything there to support me afterwards one of the things I said which was really really I wanted to stress it we must never feel that this person that gets this abuse, that's the victim, looks like a specific person. Mm. And when I pointed it out, I said, some of you guys in the crowd, as police officers who have got this job and got these titles and who are meant to keep us all safe, you're probably going through some of this yourself. Mm-hmm. 
but you're embarrassed to say it because of your standing position in society. This can happen to anybody, lawyers, doctors, nurses, the person in the richest house, the person in the poorest house. There is no specific person that this won't or won't happen to. And it's our job to allow them the space to speak freely, to get the support so that they're not on their own. And maybe, Alice, when we're talking about gaslighting, maybe those definitions, coercive, need to be written down. Mm. exposed in a in a leaflet in schools the nspcc child line number up there these need to be written down so people can say oh actually yeah that's what it looks like oh i wonder if that's what i'm going through yeah because there are new definitions that we didn't hear about when we were younger mm-hmm. yeah and i think the other thing as well is yeah absolutely i agree with you and also that I think the really pivotal thing is understanding that there's a real spectrum of abuse and it doesn't always manifest as physical. It might be financial abuse, it's the coercive control, yeah. it's the, like we said, gaslighting, it's manipulative behaviour. You know, there yeah. are so many ways in which abuse manifests and whether it is physical or not, you're no less deserving of help. I think that's one of the crucial mm-hmm. things that I really try and drum into people is, you know, just because it wasn't physical doesn't mean it wasn't abusive. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people only seem to recognize abuse when it becomes physical. And often at that point, it's too late. So it's really knowing the psychological behaviors that can actually be abusive before you get to the point where it then might turn physical. One day, and and I will say to listeners, this is not about keeping you guys on the knife edge there, but one day when I do feel comfortable, I will share some of the moments of terror Mm. that I felt and that trapped feeling. Even you saying that now I had goosebumps of feeling trapped. And of people saying, you know, of hearing this, you know, one, it happened with two, two guys, but with one guy, one of the two guys turned around saying, you'll never find anybody that will love you like I love you. Mm-hmm. Just those type of things you hear and you think, hmm, mm. okay. But the positive thing is, this is not all doom and gloom. You do find the courage. You find the courage, but not everybody has an opportunity to find the courage to get out of these situations. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that I'd love to ask you about is really about rebuilding yourself and finding love after abuse, which is something that you and I have both gone on to do. And I think it's also a really uplifting way to kind of look at the situation is there absolutely is life after abuse. And I wonder if you can maybe talk about, you know, recovering for you and, and how you went on to learn to trust another partner and let him into your life. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I've been married to Matt now for 16 years and we've been together 19 years this year. And I was, I just left a, a very volatile relationship before I met Matt and got into a relationship with Matt. And Matt was like, Mish, you know, sometimes you flare up, you know, and he, he won't be embarrassing me saying it and sharing this. And I would say, yeah, but it's because of, you know, I'm so used to da 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 da. And he said, but I'm not that person. You need to stop that. But that was me having somebody that loved me and wanted to work with me. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He hadn't come from this background. He's like looking at me like, well, what do you mean? Why are you behaving like that over that? Yeah. But that was my protective mechanism. Again, yeah. he then, after many weeks and months of everything transpiring into a relationship, I'm now pregnant with our first daughter. And he said to me, Mish, after you have Reese and everything else, you, you know, you need to do me a favor. You need to go into therapy Mm. because you need to put to bed some of these things that you go through. 
And of course, again, listeners, you know, you, you've got that, what's wrong with me? What do you mean? What, 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 why do I need to go to, because of course, mm. that's your defense mechanism again. Mm. I've then rang up one of my best friends, Caroline, and she said to me, shall I recommend this lady? And I went to see this lady and I saw this lady 10 past nine till five to 10 every Thursday morning for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And that was me. Okay. Fortunate enough. I had track and field. So I had income. Mm-hmm. I could reinvest in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a supportive partner that allowed me, you know, me, you know, whatever it takes, just go and do you get yourself back strong again. So I would say that the recovery was slow. And I would say to you, probably up to 10 years ago, Alice, I was still suffering, you know, where you think mm, that behavior is because of, yeah. and it's not making excuses. It was about looking into yourself and being honest with yourself and saying, actually, I need support. I need yeah. help manage the next relationship I go into. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate enough that I had the partner there that's grown with me. And I'm very happy to say my marriage is a beautiful marriage. Yes, we have ups and downs and, you know, tittle tattle and stuff. But I feel very, very loved and supported by Matt right next to me. And I think that that trust that you, you kind of think, oh, I'm not sure about that. Will, will he cheat on me? Oh, oh, will he do this? Oh, will he? You know, it does get better. And it gets better because you're stronger now and you look at that individual for that individual, not as the individual that you were with before. Yeah. And it takes time. I think one of the things that I also really heard from that and one of the things that I found really helpful is communicating. And I think my experience of abuse was, and definitely coming out the other side, I was offered therapy when I came out of it and I went to a few sessions. This this was like weeks later, you know, after the court case and everything. Yeah, I got the therapy, went to it. I wasn't ready. Looking back, I wasn't ready, but I didn't recognize that at the time. I thought to myself, oh, this isn't for me. You know, I can deal with this myself. And so what I did was the complete barrier came down. I closed the door on that period of my life. And it was really only five years later, minimum, that I then suddenly started to get these flashbacks, to get these feelings, to get these things coming up. And it was just a way of my body saying, I can't suppress this anymore. This stuff's got to come out and you need to deal with it. And and I think, yeah, I, I am also someone who has turned to therapy And I think that communication in every aspect of my life has been one of the biggest learnings. In my abusive relationship, I never communicated and I was so ashamed of falling into that situation that I completely cut myself off from everyone around me. I have to try and be really communicative about when I'm struggling or when I'm having down days or whatever. And really communicative with, you know, people like my friends, my therapist. And, you know, I find relationships difficult sometimes and I find it really hard to trust people. So it's, yeah, it is just about, you know, trying to work on yourself to, to do the work and to overcome this stuff. But, you know, trauma can run deep. And, it can and I run think deep. Grief, you know, trauma is exactly mm. the same, you know, mm. and, and that vulnerability, you know, of how vulnerable you can feel. You yeah. Know? And, and I think what's helped me is that when you talk about communication, it really rings through for me, Alice, because... I think being able to communicate about this over the last few years to my nearest and dearest has allowed me to feel freer, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, your, your truth sets you free. And our job as ambassadors or as influencers or however you want to view us is to spread the word so that we can equip other young girls or boys so that they can cope with situations should they arise. Mm-hmm. That's our job. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's yeah, such a good point. And I'd love you to talk about it is is how you now work with young people. I mean, yeah. you are literally at the cold face of, of of helping young people to transition from that kind of young young adult into into going out into the world. Yeah. And and I'd love to hear how you manage that, some of the conversations that you might have. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole lot that you cover, but really how how do you find that? Because I, I find as well now, I'm 28, I've sort of forgotten what it was like to be that age now. <laughs> and I'm sure there's stuff that, and I'm sure my experience would be totally different to what kids now are going through because yeah. it's just a different world now. So I'd, yeah, I'd love you to talk about that if you, if you feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Alison, <clears throat> I started mentoring in 2009 and I can honestly say some of the most rewarding times I've had in my life. And this is the benefit of, you know, what sport has provided me. Sport has provided me with a platform, you know, to, to, to speak my truth, to, mm. to share my journey, to impact people's life, you know, to, to make a difference in the world. And when I'm mentoring these young people, I work for the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, which is run by, owned and run by Kelly Holmes. And some of the experiences, I'll share one experience that I've had with a young girl called Martine who, you know, was our flagship. And she wouldn't mind me sharing this at all. She shared it on national TV before. But when Martine came onto the program as a vulnerable young girl who had been in trouble with the police and everything else, and we used sport as the vehicle to, to almost, you know, let out her frustration. So we'd, we'd do sport. They'd have to turn up six weeks, three times a week, on the nose, don't be late. And it's all the things you're trying to teach these young adults mm-hmm. about what it's like to go into the real world. She had a young son at the time. And she was full of anger from her own childhood. Mm. And it was about recognizing that this young girl's got a shining light within her. She has a shining light within her. And we have to extract that from her. So we have to say, right, we understand you've been through X, Y, and Z. However, there is a Martine in there that can literally set the world on fire. How are we going to go about this? So some of the conversations were tough and challenging. I'm I'm not going to pretend. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of pushback. There's a lot of, well, why me? And I'm saying, as a mentor, I'm saying to her, listen, the journey in life is not easy. Let's not pretend. Life is not easy. You have moments of magic where everything's like, boom, shining bright. And there's times where you think, gosh, this is tough. This is arduous. This is going to take a lot for me to come out of this. Mm. So when you share these stories as athlete mentors and you share the journey from slapping your Achilles tendon to being back on the podium again, that's the journey you've got to share. There's times where you want to give up. And that's what I said to her. I said, why, do you, why would you want to give up now? You have a son. And she said, because every time I go for a job, they look at my criminal record. I said, okay. So just a short story here, which is the most amazing story. She came on my program, the Dame Cayley Homes Trust program. We had a sponsorship from Southeastern Trains. Southeastern Trains were given apprenticeships, like work experience to about 15, 20 young people. At the end of those work experiences, you'd sit a test to see if you can work for Southeastern Trains. Martine sat this exam, which is quite technical. When people think about working for the railway, they think, oh, it's easy. No, it's really, really technical. She sat the exam, she passed the exam, but the stumbling block she came across was she had a criminal record. The CEO, David Stave, I remember really well, said, if she can demonstrate to me that that, that her past is now gone, six, seven years gone, finished, and she's now almost turned over a new leaf, with mm. the skills that she's shown with the Dame Kelly Homes Trust, we will give her that opportunity. Alice, that young lady diffused an argument on the train that could have caused less thousands of pounds because it could have caused the train to be delayed. She didn't know that somebody on Southeastern trains was watching her. 
said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Martine. I would ref- refuse the job from you. Monday morning, Martine's name was called up again. She was given the opportunity. She worked for them for six years since then. Mm. And that was about us going in there and telling her some, you know, some tough love, Alice. Let's be honest here. Saying to her, you can't just rock up when you want to. You've got to be accountable. If you say you're going to turn up at nine, you have to be there at nine. No, you can't just leave at one o'clock. You have to finish at three. Where's your CV? Um, you can't dress like that. Oh, no, you can't drink on that. You can't smoke this. You can't. And it's all of those things that gave her the holistic approach to life that allowed her then to become a success. But the yeah. magic is, it wasn't just a success for herself. It was success for her son, mm. for her nieces, her nephews, her friends' children. Because success is like that. When you rub shoulders with success, and success comes in a different ways. For this girl to be holding down a job through our mentoring was a success. Yeah. And you know what I really got from that? Sometimes all it takes is someone believing in you. Amen. And picking you out and saying, I know you don't believe in yourself right now, but I really believe in you. And I think that's really special to hear with Martine that like, it's sometimes just having someone come in and say, I believe in you for you to suddenly realize I can do this. Absolutely. And that validation that you are worth more than that. Mm. And and recognizing that, you know, giving somebody an opportunity as well is such a nice feeling and brings it back to one of my favorite words of being kind. You know, David Saver didn't have to give her this opportunity. He Mm. recognized that actually if I give her this opportunity, and I often say to people, when you get given the opportunity, roll with it. Mm-hmm. Roll with it. We know as women, you know, we can apply for a job. We'll have seven out of the 10 qualities. We won't have three of the qualities and we're homing on those three. Whereas mm-hmm. a guy will have, have five out of the 10 qualities and he'll, he'll say, no, I'm going for it anyway. So it's <laughs> about trusting yourself and having that belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also mm-hmm. knowing that if you've got somebody behind you that gives you that, come on, babe, you can do this. That helps again. Yeah, it really does. Now, moving on from that, because I think it's going to come into what we now talk about. I'd love to hear about how you practice as a life coach. I think actually a lot of people are a bit, maybe not a bit confused, but a bit unsure of what a life coach actually does. So would you mind maybe just explaining a little bit about what a typical session with you looks like or how a client would work with you? Yeah. So as a life coach, I call myself a health and wellness coach, a life coach, but really I'm a lifestyle coach. That's what I am. And, you know, I bring in all the things of health and well-being from being a personal trainer for 22 years and then loving my mentoring and then training to be a life coach. All those things amalgamate into one. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference of, of a life coach, a mentor and a therapist? A therapist digs deep into your past, delves a lot into your past and then moves you forward slowly. But you spend a lot of time in your past. A mentor empathizes, shares their stories with you, which is what I do to encourage you to be better. But I share mm-hmm. a lot of my opinion in that as a mentor. A life coach is the client's agenda. It's their agenda. They come to me with a goal or something that they want to solve. And with my challenging, open questions, I extract the answers that they got within themselves. So what, why, how? Mm. Simple as that. So what if you were given all the time in the world? What would this do for you? Why should you do this? Why does this matter? Tell me about the resources you've got to support your goal. So all the time I'm questioning them, but I'm not giving any of my opinion. It's their agenda. Yeah. So that's the difference with a life coach. I'm there to extract the very best out of them, to move them forward. So we might spend a fraction of the time in the past, just a fraction, just for me to get a bit of a background. But my job is to move them from where they are now to move them forward into the future. Yeah. 
And I, and I think it's such an interesting approach because you really do bring a holistic 360 way of working, which is not just to draw upon the mental health aspect, but to draw upon the physical health, the well-being, the lifestyle. And I think actually, yeah, and, and I, I laugh sometimes because I say my job as a personal trainer, you know, half my sessions are part counselling session, part personal training session. And Absolutely. sometimes I've had clients open up to me about stuff in their sessions that they probably never told anyone else. Going back to what, what you do, it's so nice to be able to draw upon all of those skill sets and yep. use them to kind of have a much more rounded approach to, you know, life coaching, personal training, all that sort of stuff. Because I do think that's the way we're going. We, we recognize that health is so much more than just the physical now. Absolutely. I have women coming to me who are menopausal and I belong to the, the menopause charity as well, you know, the Meno charity. So I'm, I'm an ambassador for them as well. So mm-hmm. I talk about that. I talk about my diabetes and like pre, being pre-diabetic. I'm an ambassador for Diabetes UK. And just the whole thing, and that's why I say wellness, I talk about the whole holistic thing of your physical health, your mental health, confidence, lack of confidence paralyzes us from moving forward. You know, a lot of people come to me with that. That's what stops a lot of people from moving forward, which is what we said at the top of the conversation. It really, really does. It really does. And actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you talk about this a lot online, and I think it's such a huge topic at the moment, but around sort of body image and self-confidence. I know that you work a lot with your clients on this. I know that you talk about it from a personal perspective. How do you find yourself navigating your own body confidence? and, And sort of how do you then navigate those subjects with your clients as well? I think it's a brilliant subject to talk about. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm now 49 and a half. I'm 50 in October. I'm going to say the half. <gasps> How exciting. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you. I'm so excited. And <laughs> I look at my stomach now, which has had three cesarean sections, three beautiful children. My abs are all wrinkly, but I'm the most confident I've been now in my life than I've ever been when I was 22, 23, sponsored by Nike, the face of Weetabix. I'm the most confident I am now because mm. intrinsically I'm happier. I'm more confident within myself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I say to my clients all the time, in whose opinion do you look like that? And again, it goes back to what we were saying before about worrying about what other people say about you. Yeah. I'm in a happy space that, yes, Alice, and I'll put it out into the listeners and probably have a little chuckle. I have 32F breasts that hang. That's okay. In a bra, they look fabulous. My <laughs> husband loves them, but I don't care. I'm not bothered by that anymore. Yeah. Whereas when I was younger, it was, like, oh, and I was very self-conscious of my boobs when I was young because I did have enormous boobs for my size. I was very thin with massive boobs. And that's mm. the first thing people used to look upon. So I was very self-conscious about that. But as I've got older, I've realized to accept who I am. I also mm. say to my clients, acceptance is key. And we can't change what somebody else thinks about you. But you having that projecting out there, I'm okay with who I am. And that brings in the whole thing of the the diversity, the culture, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, all of those things together. This is who I am. I am enough. Mm. Give me the opportunities and accept me for who I am. Mm. So all the time I'm saying to my clients all the time when they think, oh, Misha, you know, I'm feeling like this or I want to lose that. I'm like, is that the be all and end all? Or should we start looking at things slightly different? So I'm reframing the language, Alice. I'm like, you want to lose weight because of what? So how about I want to live a more healthier, happier life? So it's a reframing the language is where I'm going with my clients. When they talk about body image, I reframe the language. And that's, that's such a good way to look at it because you're absolutely right. 
a lot of the time people think that losing weight will make them happier. It's a really common mindset and one that I fell foul of definitely was my way of kind of healing some of the stuff that I'd been through was, well, if I lose weight, I'll be happier. And I got there and I wasn't. So it's really important that we that we remind ourselves about you know, happiness really being an intrinsic thing that any physical external change can't replace or cover up or heal the stuff that's going on inside. And really that stuff inside should come first. And that's not to say that losing weight isn't a valid goal, but actually, as you've said, can we put that in a more positive spin? Is there a way of looking at it in a way of adding stuff in, for example, I'm going to do more of this and I'm going to enjoy more of that. I can't have this. I've got to do that. I can't, you know, I I look like this. The way we speak about ourselves is so powerful. The language we use. And if you're constantly, even internally having that negative self-talk, that repetitive negative body image days, no wonder you start to fall into a place of just feeling really rubbish about yourself. Absolutely. One of my clients I spoke to today, I said to her this morning, I said, we need to just change your internal dialogue. Everything you've said about yourself in the last two and a half minutes has been, I, I, I'm not good at this. Oh, I, I'm not good at that. I said, mm. how, how could, how could you reframe that? Mm. How can you change the language? I said, and she said, I, I do it without not even recognizing. I said, exactly. I said, what would you say to your best friend? And she said, actually, I would never say it to my best friend. I said, exactly. <laughs> but maybe you've got to love you more than you love anybody else. You've got to. And she's like, yeah, you're right, Michelle. I said, absolutely. And it's not being highfalutin and thinking that you're the bee's knees or anything like that. But why would you not show kindness to yourself? Simple little things, just changing it up a fraction. Because that internal dialogue runs deep. That negativity runs deep, Alice. It's not just today or tomorrow. You've been saying it for years, after weeks, after days, after hours of repeating the same negative thing. You start to believe it. Yeah, you really do. And it can feel like such a small change. And actually, I was watching, (laughs) this is a bit of a rubbish reference, but I was watching this episode of Sex and the City the other day. And in there, the character Charlotte was talking about self-affirmations. And she was like, I'm just doing my daily affirmations. And she was sticking these notes around her mirror. And I was like, you know what? It is a bit cringy to when you look at it. But if you look in the mirror where you've got these things stuck up and you're like, I am fabulous. I am great. I am strong. Like, it will go in. Maybe at first it feels a bit silly and you're like, oh, I don't quite know. But you know what? Like they were doing it then. They're still doing it now. The message is still the same. Like that voice matters. And if you can turn it into being a positive one, even if it's just a tiny switch of the way you phrase things, like it has an impact. Absolutely, Alice. And and actually it's funny you're saying that because this morning I said to my client, write down what you're most proud about in the last three weeks. Mm said to me, I said, in the last 21 days, write down something you're really, really proud about. She, and she wrote it down. I said, say it out loud. I said, let me hear it. And she's like, oh my God, I feel so proud of myself. <laughs> I said, exactly. I said, but sometimes we forget the journey we've traveled. We do forget. And that's why I'm so huge on reflection. Reflect yeah. the journey you've, you've, you've traveled. Reset and recharge. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I guess I want to round up by then saying if you had to reflect on some of your biggest learnings across the last, you know, however many years that you've that you've been both an athlete, a life coach, a personal trainer, your career has spanned so many different things. And I'm sure there's so much that you can draw upon. But what would you say are your biggest learnings upon reflection from from your experiences? Gosh, Alice, oh my gosh, you should have given me a timer on this. Oh, a my big God. question, I know. <laughs> Okay, I guess vulnerability is strength. I've learned mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I've learned that significantly. Find your tribe. Definitely find your people that you can trust. 
mm. that you can feel vulnerable with. Motherhood is magical. Never known love like it. But equally, it's one of those things where you never rest as a mother. That's one of the things I learned, a huge learning for me. I think the biggest learning is, and long may it continue, I feel throughout all the negative things that I've had in relationships, I'm so lucky to have married a man that's got my back. Mm. And you will find love. You will find that one person that will love and respect you. And we are all deserved of having that. And I think that's the biggest lesson. You will all deserve it to be loved and to show love. Yeah. And I think I will close off by saying, always remember we're all work in progress. We are, we are. None of us are perfect. I love that. Definitely. Now I always wrap up the podcast with two questions. My first question is what does strength look like to you? Strength looks like to me being able to carry on my everyday life, getting up out of my bed, having a purposeful day looks like strength to me. I love that. And next up, and this is always a hard one, so don't worry if it takes you a few moments, but who in your life demonstrates strength the most? That's not, that's not a hard one for me, my mama. No, oh, I knew you were going to say your mum. I love your mum. Alice, Alice, my mum. And guys, you know, this makes me so emotional talking about my mummy. My mummy has been through so much over the last two years. And I look at her even now and the strength that lady shows. Mm. gives me the strength to keep going Mm. she came over here as a young 20 year old girl and came over here really academic lady and built up her most amazing life and tried her very best was a ward sister was a midwife ended up being a social worker and running on an autistic unit she's selfless she gives to people but she has strength And despite the last two and a half months where she's felt at her lowest, depleted, had a blood transfusion, she still keeps going. And that is my role model, my rock and my strength. And if I can be half a woman like my mama, I tell you what, I've done good. Well, I tell you what, I think you are. And you're incredible. And I can see so much of her in you. And I hope you know that. And I just want to say how grateful I am for you sharing that and sharing all that you've shared across this episode. It's been so special to have you on. And you really do. When you talk, it gives me goosebumps a lot of the time. I just feel that you exude positivity and, and courage and strength. And I'm just so excited to have you on because that is everything this podcast is. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share parts of my story. I look forward to us doing so much more work together god bless you and thank you listeners and you know what guys remember we're all work in progress we are thank you so much michelle you so much for listening I really hope you enjoyed that episode I have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening